Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Turn up the radio and sing along. It's time for another great song. This is the Great Song Podcast. Seasons greetings and welcome once again to the Great Song Podcast. I'm Rob Alley. I am JP Mosier. And we're here breaking down the greatest songs in modern music history. We're going to tell you why they're great, why we think they're awesome, and why you should too. JP, how you doing today, man? Fantastic, Rob. Just went to Burger King, had some Twix pie out mm. the freezer. Right out the freezer. Out the freezer. Was that your request? That was not requested. That was suggested by Natasha. She said, get some Twix pie right out the freezer. So <laughs> I did. I should have waited a little bit instead of jumping straight in out the freezer. Should have let it thaw out a little bit. Because it just tasted like cold material. Cold chocolate. Mm, cold molecules. Cold ice cube <laughs> frozenness. Uh, yeah, I heard uh, on the way over here, too, they're making a Rambo 5. Wow. Yeah, He's Twix Pie and Rambo 5. Still out there rambo 71 years old. Hey, I mean, if he's still mad, I guess he's still got... I guess so. Would you rather be rescued by a 71-year-old or just stay in captivity? <laughs> like, I couldn't get out on my own, so I, I called Grandpa Sly. I mean, I guess it depends on who the 71-year-old is. If it's, it's, it's Sylvester Sloan, Stallone, it's cool. yeah, that's then true. maybe so, but uh, otherwise... I or mean, if it's James Taylor. I don't even know how old James Taylor that's is. That's true. Uh, he's got, He's got to be, I mean... Right around there, hovering. Yeah, totally. Um, let's hold on. Let's find out. While he's looking that up, we are actually going to be covering a James Taylor song today. Oh, the, wow. What a segue. Hence the James Taylor reference. Um, we will be covering. You want to tell him the song, Rob, while you're looking that up? Well, if you're going to cover James Taylor, you almost have to start with Fire and Rain from the album Sweet Baby James. Absolutely. If you're not going to cover Blossom or Lo and Behold, then you pick Mm-mm. Fire and Rain Mm-mm. off of Sweet Baby James. That's right. James Vernon Taylor was born March 12th, 1948. So while I do, do that math, math. Uh, let's take a listen. Here's Fire and Rain by the one and only James Taylor. Yesterday morning, they let me know you were gone. Suzanne, the plans they made put an end to you. I walked out this morning and I wrote down this song. I just can't remember who to send it to. I've seen fire and I've seen rain. Seen sunny days that I thought would never end I've seen lonely times when I could not find a friend But I always thought that I'd see you again I always thought, I mean, why would you not? For all the years I always thought I'd see you again And I did, you're here Here we are Hey, how you doing? Hey, we're back again (laughs) 
Oh my God, I went back again. Michael Sylvester Gardenzio Stallone. Gardenzio. Michael Sylvester Gardenzio Stallone is 71. 71. And James Vernon Taylor is 70. James Taylor just seems older than Stallone. It really does. Yes. If you're going to say one of these guys is my grandfather, it's James Taylor. Definitely. He seemed like... Stallone is finally to the point where he kind of seems old. Sure. But James Taylor has seemed old for, for a long a, time. A long time. Yeah, he came out the womb old. <laughs> I mean, I guess on this cover, he doesn't look so old. But he doesn't look super young. Yeah. He, he was like 21. This is in 1969. Yeah. December of 69. So he's literally 21. He's 21, but he looks, I mean, he could be. He could be 35. He could, yeah, he he could be, easily be 35 yeah, be 30. on that album cover. James, we love you, buddy. <laughs> You're great. We kind of just got an kinda old just face. Look old. I don't really know. Uh, yeah. Okay. So James Vernon Taylor, uh, born March twelfth, nineteen forty-eight, a five-time Grammy Award winner. Which I should have looked up all the Grammys that he has won, and I did not. Ordinarily, would have done that. Um, inducted into the Rock and Roll F- Hall of Fame in two thousand, he is one of the best-selling music artists of all time, having sold more than a hundred million records. That's a lot worldwide. Insane. Today we're talking about his breakthrough hit from the 1970 album, Sweet Baby James. We're talking about Fire and Rain. This is his first, uh, I'm sorry, this, is a, this, this song was a number three uh, single. His first number one came the following year with uh, his recording of You've Got a Friend, which was a cover. I didn't know that. Did you oh, know yeah, that? That's Carol King's Carol song. King's, mm-hmm. I've, I guess I just didn't know. Uh, didn't realize You've Got a Friend was, was a cover. I thought it was his. Uh, but they do were, you know the story about this? Is on this is just no track. go. The you've got Bonus a friend time. was a kind of a refrain or response to the line, or it was the response to the line. I've seen lonely times when I couldn't find a friend. Really? And she's like, "You got a friend." Oh, that's so sweet. There you go, buddies. Carol. We'll get to her on Meet the Band. Oh, I got some good Carol King stuff. Carol, you're a good gal. Uh, okay, this is number 227 on Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs list. That's as close to the middle of the pack as you can get. Yeah, it's it? like exactly, yeah, just right about there, right smack in the middle, uh, that middle median there. Um, if it was a highway, this would be right in the grass. There you like go. between the... Tweener. Yeah, this would be right there, a sweet spot, right in the middle, you know? Uh, it's not one of the, it's not one of the, like... The 400 to 500 where you think oh that song should be way higher sure and it's not in that top 50 where you go that song doesn't belong there sure you know what I mean it's, it's right in the middle right smack in the middle <clears throat> um, so yeah this was his Sweet Baby James was his second album uh, produced by Peter Asher who has since produced tons of people I think this may have been this was among his first production because he originally started as sort of an A&R rep for Apple Records uh, which was the the company owned and run by the Beatles when they started to do uh, uh, their own record label, and then he so he produced uh, James Taylor and then went on to produce tons of albums with James Taylor and and others Linda Ronstadt Bonnie Raitt Ten Thousand Maniacs uh, among I thought you were going to say Tenth Avenue North Tenth <laughs> Avenue North like no no yeah way. Peter Asher man um, the entire album I think this is funny. The entire album had a budget of twenty thousand uh, dollars for recording, and it was recorded at an actual cost of seventy six hundred dollars. There was a they were left with a surplus of almost fourteen thousand dollars at the end of recording. That would never happen anymore. Not only those kind of budget numbers, which would you know, even in even in um, that's modern track. <laughs> yeah, in modern money, that's still a, like a fifty thousand dollar 
you know, cost. Uh, but th- that would just to no matter what the budget is now, you're going to be asking for more. You're never coming in under budget on anything ever in history. Never. This was the last time in history <laughs> that something came in under budget. Uh, so yeah, his first album, um, you know, it was he he had some success right away, but then he kind of he kind of drifted off into some problem areas, and he had he had a full blown heroin addiction, and uh, and so a lot of this album is kind of his response to that and dealing with you know fame and then um, uh, you know his his addiction and those those kind of things. And um, he was actually homeless when he recorded this album. Yeah, I saw that that he, was he basically on the was couch like, of of Danny Korchmurder, one of the guitar players. Yeah. Uh, and he was just like, all right, who can take me home yeah. tonight? Yeah. You know, whatever. Uh, but uh, it was an important album. It, there was, he, had a, he had a good reason to try and get the album done. Uh, he was promised uh, $20,000 that would be given to him when the album was delivered. Now, I, I don't know if that's the same $20,000 as it, the, budget. the budget. They're like, okay, you've got twenty grand. Use whatever you need to to get the album done but whatever you have left over is so yours maybe he's like i got 14k in the bank yes maybe so or maybe those are separate amounts you know i i didn't i, I didn't see if there was a i do know the issue. last song on the album the suite for 20g is a reference to that and yes. that's what he you can talk more about that if well you I, I just saw in the in the research uh that that he just sort of shamelessly like just pieced together you know we did last season we did the abbey road episode which was sort of a mishmash of a bunch of partially finished songs so the james taylor song that finishes out this album is called the suite for 20g and it's the same kind of idea he had pieces of songs three songs and put them together uh into a quote-unquote suite and that became the last song for the album and got him his 20 grand so uh, smart guy uh and it's sort of the same um same technique that blues traveler used to write hook they're like all right we got to get this you know whatever and uh so that became they're like it just seems so shameless like you think oh james taylor are probably on the artistic integrity scale is you know pretty high up there uh but maybe that one reeks a little bit of of you know but then again hey if i was homeless psh, i mean i just belched Twix pie, <laughs> and it tastes like the original frozen bite. <laughs> Sorry, everyone. Gross. Uh, my apologies. Oh. No visuals um, what? Uh, where are we going from there? I Sorry don't for know. the detour. Jeez. Uh, okay. Fire and rain, man. Uh, fire wow. and rain. Yeah, fire and rain, boy. All right. So here's what you all want to know. What's the song about? What's it about? It's turns out it's. It's pretty sad. Sad tune. I just kind of always figured, I mean, you kind of get it, you know, this is about somebody who's not around anymore and probably dead, I guess, but it's a little, it's kind of even a little bit sadder than that. When you dig in. Yeah. Um, so the, the song is actually about kind of three different phases, not phases of his life because it was all sort of mashed together in a year or two's time, but three different events or problems. Events, yes, in, in, in James Taylor's life. Uh, and, and the first and probably most important and the impetus for the song uh, is the suicide of his childhood friend, uh, Suzanne Schnur. And, uh, and that is the Suzanne referenced in, in the first verse. Um, the Suzanne, the plans they made put an end to you. Yes. Is what he referenced there. Yes. Um, and so... Um, and he said they, I read in, in an interview that he, he said that the quote-unquote they is not a reference to a specific they. It's more of like the fates, uh, you know, it's the like 
the the cosmos. Yeah, the the universe. <laughs> you know what I mean? Kind of kind of did you wrong, and he was always afraid that like her parents would hear the song and think that it was about them. Oh man! Like that he yeah, was you know throwing shade at them. Um, but he you know he said that's not the case. But that's just the the way the line you know ne- kind of needed to come out. So. Um, so yeah, she uh, was was you know was troubled and and ended her life, and so he wrote this song partly in response to that. Uh, part of it is also about um, his uh, movement to uh, London to to audition for Apple Records. Um, he found himself kind of alone in London, and the the, the second line about uh, "Look down on me, Jesus, you got to help me make a stand." Um, it's it's not really about Jesus either, uh, but it's it's kind of a, he said it's kind of a, a a prayer of like having to like pull himself together to do this audition, uh, and to he had gotten dropped by his label after his first album um, because it I guess it didn't perform as well as they wanted it to, um, but um, he said the 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 second verse is about my arrival in, in uh, England with a monkey on my back and there Jesus is an expression of my desperation in trying to get through the time when my body was aching and the time was at hand when I had to just do it. Um, and then he said the third verse uh, refers to his recuperation. He, he went into a treatment facility, that kind of thing, after his uh, um, drug heroin addiction. And, and so that's about his time in uh, recovery in a place called Austin Riggs, which lasted about five months. So all those things kind of taken together for this one very sad but very iconic song. Um, and it's weird because the song doesn't really come off sad to me. No, no, it's, yeah, and let's see. It's a, it's just a folk song. It just seems like a campfire song. Yeah, it's, it, right. It's, it, it kind of, it kind of makes you feel good. It gives you kind of a warm you know, uh, I mean, it's not kumbaya, but it's, but it's just it's comfortable. Yeah, I don't know why. It's pretty obviously a downer <laughs> of a song. Like you know, oh, I always thought I'd see you again. You know, like, maybe it's because it's heard so much and played so much. It just kind of becomes like familiarity. Yeah, maybe it's just comfortable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, maybe when I heard the song when I was three, I thought, <laughs> oh man, that's really sad. <laughs> but you know, uh, I, I mean, that's true though. Maybe it is. Maybe it's just something that you grew up hearing you know, over and over and over and still being played today. Um, so maybe so, I don't know. Um, this was kind of the song that took James Taylor, um, from a kind of a, well, it's kind of shot him into the stratosphere as far as this. And he, you know, the, something I didn't realize until researching this was the sort of singer songwriter movement was just in its baby stages up at this point. If you were a songwriter, you weren't necessarily, you, you probably were not the artist who was singing those songs. You would pitch your song. Right. To... I would write a song and you would sing it. Uh, and I don't know how that, I guess, maybe it's sort of the advent of video. You know, people start making TV appearances and that that made, I don't, I don't know. I don't know why it was that the system was in place that like. Because you look at the people that ended up being good singer-songwriters and it's not like they're super great showmanship or like it's not the yeah, their presentation. So I mean, it's them an acoustic the guitar. It's yeah. James Taylor, it's Jim Croce, it's Harry Chapin. It's that kind yes. of, you know, it's not like they're stage presence geniuses. It's them on a bar stool with an yeah. acoustic guitar. Yeah, so I wonder why it took so long for that to become a thing. You know what I'm saying? Like, I guess, I don't know, maybe there was just a feeling that 
you know, uh, you got to really put on a show and grab people. But I don't know why, you know. I mean, I feel like, what did Sinatra do to a degree that James Taylor doesn't do? Yeah, Walk around and snap and smile. I mean, yeah, you know, so I I don't know. But I I thought that was, I thought that was interesting. Um, But his, uh, his first label uh, deal, uh uh-oh, do I have this wrong? This says his first label deal was with Apple Records. Was this his second one? Yes, I'm so sorry. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And, uh, he no, his first album was with Apple, and he and yeah, he left. They the dropped him. Yeah. Do you and know then, any other artists on Apple other than Beatles referenced ones? I don't. That's what I was thinking. I was like, that's pretty cool that he's on, you know, there. But then I was like, who, who all is on Apple? Yeah. So basically, everything other than Wings and Yoko and that kind of stuff and the Big Four. Yeah. I looked up the only two that I knew on there: Billy Preston and Badfinger. Really, that was the only ones that I even knew. Interesting, like, who they were. And Badfinger's only hit, I guess, really was uh, a, a a Lennon McCartney. Uh, if you want it, here it is. Come and get yeah. it. Um, and uh, and Billy Preston played with the Beatles. Played with them in the so studio. It's still kind, kind of a tie-in. Yeah, but, interesting. Yeah. So James Taylor was going to be the guy, the the American breakout star for them. And for whatever reason, the first album they they dropped him afterward. And he signed with Warner, Warner Brothers, who released Sweet Baby James. Um, and uh, the title track was issued as the first single, but failed to chart. So, man, he was probably like, God, what do I got to do? You know what I mean? But uh, he, uh, he was on the road promoting the album. And when Fire and Rain was released as the second single, uh, it took off. They said the first one, um, his first album had, first of all, I think it was interesting, I just, just to put these in, in correlation, um, his he recorded his first album in London in the same studio where the Beatles were recording simultaneously recording the White Album. Oh, cool! Those two albums happened at the same time, and he was on Apple Records and he's recording in the same studio. Wow! Like uh, so, his and that that produced a Carolina in my mind, something in the way she moves. Um, but it poured it sold poorly due to a combination of his heroin addiction. Uh, because he had to seek treatment and couldn't promote the album mm. and uh, the and Apple's kind of implosion um, as a label, you know, that was going on due to the Beatles infighting and all that stuff at the same time. And Yoko, it was Yoko's fault. <laughs> Yoko did all of it. Uh, so that led to him being uh, dropped by Apple. And then he, you know, gets picked up with uh, with Warner Brothers. So uh, let's talk a little bit about the production. It was... Uh, produced the album uh, was produced by Peter Asher, and he was looking for a kind of a stripped down sound to showcase uh, James Taylor's songs. He didn't want to cover up the the greatness of the songs with production that sort of outshined. Um, you know, he thought, man, these songs are great. Too much production will get in the way, and um, so that sound he kind of found on this track. He called in the musicians, uh, who we'll talk about in just a minute, probably right after this. Um, and they, he had them just come in to rehearse the song in his living room. Um, the drummer was a rock drummer, but uh, uh, Peter Asher asked him to play with brushes during the rehearsal so they wouldn't bother the neighbors. And when he played with brushes instead of si- sticks, it brought out kind of a new vibe to the song and, uh, and gave them the sound that he was looking for that was kind of a more uh, stripped down, more intimate feeling um, you know, sound house concert. Yeah. Like a, like exactly like a house show. And uh, so 
uh, that band became part of James Taylor's touring band, and they went on to play uh, classic 70s albums by Jackson Brown, Linda Ronstadt, Carol King, uh, who was also involved in that band. Uh, so I thought that's kind of cool. This is kind of the birth of that chill singer-songwriter vibe, like that that coffee house. Mm-hmm. You know, you bring a full band into a coffee house, you're normally not getting big Marshall stack amps and whatever. It's it's an acoustic guitar, and it's, you know, some light drums and, you know, whatever, maybe a stand-up bass. Upright bass, yeah. Yeah. Um, and this Double is bass. kind of the genesis of that in modern pop music, which I think is very cool, and I definitely did not know before that. Um so with that lead in, why don't we take a second and let's meet the band. Let's meet the band. Hey, let's meet the band. It's time to meet the band. Hey, mama, let's meet the band. Let's all meet the band. Hey! All right, we're going to meet the band of uh, the band On Fire and Rain. I'll touch a little bit on the band from the album Sweet Baby James. I'm just going to read it off the back of a... Sweet Baby James. Sounds like an baby ex- James. exclamation, like, Great Caesar's ghost. That's right. Sweet Stop. Baby James. Sweet Baby James, you scared the crap out of me. Sweet Lincoln's mullet. <laughs> or whatever, yeah. Yeah, that's good. Sweet. Um, on guitar and vocals, James Vernon Taylor. Um, we'll throw out some James Vernon Taylor facts later, probably. But um, So we'll skip on down to uh, Carol King. We'll go to her next. Um, Carol King plays piano. She has written or... And well, she has written or co-written 118 hits that cracked the Billboard Top 100. How many? 118. 118. So she's been a part of that, and that's just from the years 55 to 99. So wow. in that span, she wrote 118. That's insane. Um, her album Tapestry yep. is money. Classic. Now, number 36 album of all time, according to Rolling Stone. Um, Scott, you've got a friend we talked about earlier. I feel the earth move so far away. It's too late. Way over yonder, you make me feel, in quotes, like a natural woman. Yes, yes. Um, yeah, so money album, money artist. Um, she actually played with him on the 2010 Troubadour reunion tour, and I saw him in Nashville, and it was so good. Mm. It was the two of them together. Oh, I bet that was great. And they were just smiling, I, hanging out. Yeah, I feel like I feel like artists like this, like her, like James Taylor, and a few others, get better with age. Yep. Like they're just they just are so relaxed and it was such a chill show like yeah. and it was yeah they just they played each other's songs I was gonna and say they, they always told stories that had nothing to do with the song <laughs> yeah like it like was, we do yeah it's like <laughs> it, it was perfect i'll be carol king and you be james Taylor. <laughs> so yeah it was uh it was it was really good that's awesome they always play with you you always know you're gonna hear a rock solid great sounding band when you go hear somebody like that just tasteful Mm -hmm. you know what i'm saying like they don't have to try anymore they're not at that point they're not trying to impress you or win an audience they're just like here's what i've been doing for 50 years and i felt like they liked playing their hits Mm. like they're like we're they did it was all hits all night yeah and it wasn't like oh we're gonna do seven songs that you've never heard (laughs) and tell awesome stories because we like them it's like they liked the stuff that we like Mm. and that made it so much better because everyone was singing with them yeah and an acoustic show when everyone's singing is just better because you can hear it around the venue and so that was that was really neat so carol king on piano um, on drums. Shout out, by the way, shout out to our friend Leah LaRocco. Yeah. Who lives in Nashville, works for the Grammys, and who is the world's biggest Carol King fan. She was at that show. I saw her going into the show together. There you go. Not hanging out together, but we did see each other. So, howdy, Leah. So, Leah, if you're out there, thanks for listening. That's we right. love you. And I don't think we've, I've gone to one James Taylor show since then, but every time he comes, the tickets are so expensive. I bet. So, save, your, save up your money if you're going to go see Jimmy. 
Um, on drums, sweet baby Jimmy. On drums, Russ Kunkel, or drums and brushes, which we talked about <laughs> earlier. He played with everybody in that era, from Bob Dylan to Harry Chapin, Linda Ronstadt, Neil Young, Jackson Brown, Neil Diamond, Carly Simon. But most notably, you'll like this. He's Eric Stumpy Joe Childs in Spinal Tap. No, Russ Kunkel is way. Stumpy Joe. That's amazing. Yes. I'm so happy right now. So that, that was for, for wow. Ron and those of you Spinal Tap fans out That's there. That's amazing. Um, his He was in a band at that time called The Section, which is the best name ever for a rhythm section mm. backing band. True. I love it. It's him and Leland Sklar, uh, Danny Korchmer, who also plays on this, and Craig Dorge. Um, and they played with a lot of people which I think is so cool if you're a a rhythm section and then you're just the rhythm section for all these guys yeah I Um, love that like just hit us up like the uh, what was the famous uh, studio session that like the hit machine is that what it's called the hit machine yeah I've seen Um, or the yeah anyway I think I know what you're talking about yeah yeah um, so so cool cool stuff on that. Um, they also have their own album, the section. It's called Fork It Over, and I listened to just a little bit of it because it's got David Crosby and James Taylor on it. It's pretty good. And oh, neat fact too, that band was the backing band on the 2010 reunion tour that uh-huh. I saw them with, which is another little I call the section little bonus there. Just yeah. Call them up um, on bass, Bobby West um, or double bass, if you if you would. Um, he played with Buffalo Springfield. Diana Ross, um, and he rewrote the version that you hear of the Etta James at last on the radio. Now he did the music for that. Oh, okay. so like they put her vocals with the music that he put together, gotcha. which I think is kind of neat. Um, and the double bass is the lowest pitched bow stringed instrument. So there you go. That makes sense. It makes sense. Okay, a little bit of a little bit of uh, this isn't music theory. This is uh, sort of instrument instrumental theory. instrumental theory. But the if you didn't know this, um, the longer a string is, the lower the pitch that it that it sounds at. So and and the same is true for um, horn instruments. The shorter that they are, think like a flute uh, versus a tuba, mm-hmm. right? A tuba is really, really long. If you extended it, it would be very long. So it's coiled up. So Trombone's going to be longer, but not. Right. Trombone. So you think like flute, really high. Clarinet, high. Trumpet, high. Mandolin, like, high. Yeah, mandolin, short, Tiny high. strings. But then the, the longer something gets, same as the reason why a lot of times tall people have lower voices than short people uh, is because their their inner pipes there's more space and it and as something uh, as an airway elongates or a string elongates it gets lower in pitch. I am four foot two, everyone. For those of y'all that <laughs> hear me out there, um, on the album and not on this track, uh, Danny Korchmer's his name on the back of the album. I was just reading this. It actually says Danny Cooch. So I don't. I'm guessing that's a nickname. Maybe a nickname. Maybe yeah. a nickname. Um, and I got a great fact on Danny Korchmer that I'm going to tie in back to a previous one. He is Ronnie Pudding, the bass player on Spinal Tap. <gasps> That's give, amazing. Give me some money. Wow. Two Spinal Tap references for Rob off of this album and for you fellow Spinal Tapians. Dude, my there. brain just exploded Ron- from happiness. Ronnie Pudding and Eric Stumpy Joe Childs wow. played on on the Sweet Not Baby to be Game confused Bob. with one of their other drummers, Stumpy Pete. Joe Stumpy Peeps. No. Yeah. yeah. No. So, yeah. Yeah, you don't want to. Anyway. Um, also on bass on the album, but not on this track, 
uh, John London. Um, it's kind of neat on the back of the of the album. It just lists everybody and the instruments they play. So it was, made it really neat when you were looking over and looking this up. Um, his best friend is Michael Nesmith of the Monkees. Yeah. And so he traveled with the Monkees and played bass so Peter Tork could play keys on some stuff. Cool. So he was not a member of the Monkees. But he was he just traveled with the band because he was best friends with Michael Nesmith and if they're like okay we want to you know let him play keys come on up and play that's cool and I, I like when people do that I actually got to yeah. I did a show or two with you guys in ten days after though I wasn't part of the band yeah I got to come up and play keys just on just come stuff. on up, man. yeah come on and that was the neatest thing so I, I really like old John London um, for that regard um, on steel guitar O J Rhodes um, his name nickname is Red Rhodes and that's actually what it says on the back here. Um, but he shifted from playing steel guitar to mainly being a shop guy and working like he had a shop and did electronics and shop work on guitars. And I thought that was kind of neat. So I looked, get, I'd say he's a pretty good teacher because look at the two people that worked in his shop staff, David Schechter okay. and Michael Tobias. Wow. So it's like, if you're going to have two shop guys that yeah. make Schechter and Tobias, wow. I'd say you're a pretty good teacher. Yeah. So I think he made the right choice by going shop versus performance That's so funny you know sometimes people find their it's funny you just find your calling on oh you think i'm going to be a performer but then in the process you end up just doing something totally different but that is a way more fulfilling for you long term and then b produces something awesome in the world outlives you like your legacy his legacy is these guys that worked for me became high-end you know, especially Tobias. Tobias, yeah. You know, like... And Schechter's not... I and mean, she, yeah, Schechter's not nothing. I'm just saying, like, you think Tobias, you think that's a high-end mm-hmm. instrument. Like, that's very cool. Yeah, and it, I'm, this is kind of off, kind of on the same subject, but that just kind of triggers something in me. I think one of our favorite sound guys, David Gosnell, I mean, yeah. he was, a you know, a, a yeah, performer before. And I've only he's only ran sound for me once, and it was amazing. <laughs> it made an impact. Um, with when we did that thing in in Jackson, so yeah, but shout out to David. David Gosnell, you're awesome. You know everything. You're you're so cool. You're one of my favorite people. Good job, buddy. Um, so that's what I've got on Meet the Band because I obviously missed Chris Darrow on the back of the vinyl. So sorry, Chris. He played fiddle on here, but I didn't look up anything on him because I must have just zoned out. Is that on the on the Oh Susanna track? Yeah, probably. Is probably so? which is the only track on this album that James Taylor did not write. That was sure. written by Stephen Foster. Yeah, that's an old. Uh, um, what do you call that era? You know, just kind of an Americana from previous generation. Uh, like it's almost ragtime era. It, it's not exactly, but uh, but uh, and I didn't I didn't realize because I guess I've just I guess I've never listened to this album on vinyl. I've only listened to it on CD or you know digital. Greatest hits. But is where you hear the most of the stuff off. Here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's true. Uh, but I didn't realize that Fire and Rain was the first song of Side B. Mm-hmm. Oh, Susanna feels like such an intro to this sure. song. You know what I mean? They feel so intertwined that it's weird to me to think about hearing Oh, Susanna then having to flip over Turn the record over and, and then hear over. Fire and Rain. But it probably, I wish that... Uh, I could go through and sort of have that experience first and see what it feels like. It might, it might sort of double down on the feel of Oh Susanna. You know what I mean? Make you go, oh. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Won't you cry for me? Yeah. Fire and rain. Right. Yeah. yeah. You know what I'm saying? It, sure. I, I just wonder what that. If you're if you're listening out there, seriously, in all seriousness, uh, hit us up at Great Song Pod on Twitter. Hit me up at Worship Nerd. Hit JP up at Penny Trader Ten. Uh, and, and let us know, like if your first experience with this song, uh, if you're from that generation or you're just now listening to it and it's on vinyl, um, if your if your early memories of this song were, were it being side one on vinyl, 
How did that feel to you, its separation from Oh Susanna that way? Did it make a difference in the way that you experienced this song uh, or the way that they tied together? Or did it make, like for me, I'm dumb enough that I might not have caught the correlation if I had to flip the record over. If they weren't immediately back to back, I might not have known like, Sue. oh, I get it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I probably would have disconnected my brain and go, all right, here we go, side B. And it starts off with it's a completely s- different. Yeah. I, who knows? And Oh, Susanna following Country Road is like, because that's the other hit. Yeah. It's just like that little pocket of good. If you listen on CD, it's just, you know, most people would skip ahead to maybe track four and start with Steamroller. Right. Then you'd go Steamroller, Country Road, Oh, Susanna, and Fire and Rain and be like, okay, I'll listen to the album. Right. You know, but if you're doing it on vinyl... You have to tuck your paws. Yeah. So good call on that, Rob. I like that. Um, so that's Meet the Band. Hey, we met that band. And what a band they were. And oh, what a band they were. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, random notes on this. Um, in 2015, James Taylor appeared on The Late Show with Stephen Colbert and uh, told, the, told, told Stephen that he had updated the song. Uh, he said... The thing is, when I wrote that song in 1970, I just hadn't seen that much back then. Mostly fire and rain. So that's why I keep saying it over and over again since then. Taylor then explained that over the ensuing decades, he's updated the song to include all the things he's encountered, such as skinny jeans, Fifty Shades of Grey, snakes on a plane, and especially calzones. Uh, Taylor and Colbert then performed a highly ironic version of Fire and Rain and Calzones packed with post-1970 pop cultural references. Do you want to play the chorus? <laughs> yeah, let's, let's do it. Let's just play the chorus of it. Fire and Rain and Calzones. <laughs> I've seen fire and I've seen rain I've seen them rise and fall of the beanie baby strand I see man buns, my space, and the Baja men. But I never thought I'd see a new Star Wars again. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. That's fantastic. Uh, we don't want to hear you, Stephen Colbert. Nobody wants to. Uh, that's fantastic. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Now, <clears throat> if you had asked him to do that in... When he's 72. Yeah, when he's 23. Yeah. Do you think he would have done it? Well, there's not as much to joke about. Well, I, I see what you're saying, though. Do like a pun of your own song. Yeah. Weird Al your own song up. Yeah. Probably not, because, I mean, he's. He's know. always seemed to have had a good sense of humor. Sure. Like it, now, if you'd have said, "I'll give you fourteen thousand dollars," sure. to do it, he <laughs> yes. would. I think he would have sold out. Absolutely, I think so. Yeah, it seems like he definitely he's desperate, w- desperate for the cash. Would have needed the money at the time. Yes. Uh, yeah, it's but it's it's always cool to see somebody who can kind of poke fun at themselves and not take themselves too seriously. At this point, you know, I mean, he's he's sixty eight here, you know, in this video, so he's like, what have I got to lose? Sure, you know, what I mean, he's again, he's not trying to impress anybody anymore. He's like, he can, I've looked like I'm sixty eight for the past forty years anyway, <laughs> yeah, so. <laughs> People have been waiting me to waiting for me to die for like so long. <laughs> I'm gonna beat you, Stallone. <laughs> me and you, Rocky Twenty Three. Me and you till the end. <laughs> He'll do the soundtrack. What if? Oh, uh, what if James Taylor exclusively did the soundtrack to Sylvester Stallone's last movie, and then they both died? Oh my god! You know what I'm saying? This just it's took like, a turn. <laughs> it's like Rocky Fifteen. Rocky's great grandchildren oh in the ring, you and know? Then at the end it says dedicated to Suzanne Schnur. Oh, oh dude, dang, and Adrian. Oh yeah, Natalia <laughs> Shire, Jeez. and Adrian. Yeah, yeah man. But like, oh, that's yeah, good. like dedicated to one real person and, and one, one fictional yeah. person. 
Man. Huh, oh, well. Dude, that was pretty deep. I like right, that. I like that section. Start crying. Should we go to covers since we just did kind of a cover? Absolutely. Okay, let's do let's do covers. Um, I think the most true to the original, which I would call the best cover, because it sounds the same, is John Denver's. <laughs> Have you heard it? No. It's the same. It's, if you play it, it's like, oh, it's John, it's exactly the same. Now, is that a general rule for you on covers? Like That John Denver is no, the same no. as everybody? <laughs> I feel like... John Denver's the, the I feel like John Denver is just the same. <laughs> like there's there's no there's no better word I think to describe John Denver than you, the same. same. He is the middle is the 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 status like, quo. Yes, he's before any flavoring is added. It's John there's Denver. John Denver. <laughs> yes. John Denver is the same. He's John he's, the same Denver. <laughs> That's he, it. He's great, but he's just so extraordinarily sane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that one. But I, no, my sorry. My question was: Is it your rule on covers that your favorite one is, is the, the closest to the original, no, most faithful? No, not at all. And we're going to do some cover shootouts this year that I can't wait to dig in on that. But Absolutely. I liked this one, and it happened to be the most true to the I original. I got you. Okay, maybe just because I really love the original. Yeah. So we'll just say that another one that's a little faster. Hey, did you listen to any covers or anything? I did not. No. One that's a little faster. It's got a little more pop and bounce. Is the Babyface version. Mm. It's good. I have heard that one. I didn't go I out and listen it. to it during research. I liked it too. And yeah. then the Willie Nelson version is pretty good, and it's kind of the same too. It's kind of, so yeah. It's a little more twang, but yeah. same concept. Willie Nelson is an amazing musician. He is. Great guitar player. Fantastic guitar player. Underrated guitar player. Yeah, absolutely. And his guitar is Smells. just... <laughs> I guarantee you. I bet His, his guitar slash weed cabinet is... <laughs> Uh, but it's got the, the wear that he has on his guitar that he's been playing forever. It's amazing. And it's all worn through. It's got literal holes in it from yeah. him playing. Like, th- that's that's the mark of an instrument that is loved and has character. Sure. And you know that somebody has just bonded with that instrument. Absolutely. Like, oh like my a gosh. pet. Yes, that's like a like, pet. That's like your, your pet. Shout out to, to Sean Perkinson, uh, guitar instructor uh, at the place we went to college, who's, I, rem- I just remember his guitar, the back of it was just all the worn. The GNL? No paint. Yeah. Yeah. It was just, just no paint. Uh, and I was like, ah, oh, yeah, that guy loves that guitar. Pick up the EMP project for those of y'all that are at McKay's. Absolutely. It's pretty good. Or some Kings of the Killer Fish. Kings of the Killer Fish, if yeah. If you're out there, Kings good. of the Killer Fish. Good stuff. Sean Parkinson, good stuff. Um, and so I was like, man, that must mean it's truly a great song because there's no bad versions or covers. Yeah. But wait, Howdy. there is a pretty awful one, <laughs> and it's by Cher. Oh, oh gosh! Oh. Don't listen to it. We're are not you gonna, sure. I'm positive. Are you sure? We're, are you sure? Play a little of it, <laughs> and we'll throw up and belch Twix pie together. <laughs> listen to this awfulness. Ew! I'm grossed out already. It could get better though. Just yesterday morning, Whoa. they let me know that you were gone. Well, you were gone. Oh, hold on. No, stop. No, stop it, Rob. I, no, I don't think I'm feeling it. Stop it. No, no. What's wrong with it? Tell no, me what's wrong with it. Everything. The vocal line the, the, is just. Stop. Pop, pause it for a minute. <laughs> Wait, I gotta hear the chorus. Come on. She shared it up. <laughs> no. Oh, okay. No, she no, lost me yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Frail. 
no, mm, no, okay, all right. No, there she, she are lost... parts I like, and the part is when it ends. That's the <laughs> only part of this song that I can take. Um, oh man! And the bass player is not bad, but other than that, I mean, he's doing some some slide. Uh, I was okay because I, no. I, I was thinking, I, I was thinking, uh, I got you, babe, era oh, hippie okay. share, which is what that would have been gotcha, with Sunny. And I thought, okay, I'm feeling it, but then she got to. Seems on a day that I thought never end. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I'm got, like, no, yeah, never yeah. mind. Then she got is the stop sharing. Yeah, uh, yeah. Are yeah. you share? So I'm that's sure. uh, that's what I've got on covers. Those are, but mostly, yeah, pretty solid, pretty solid. Um, in uh, okay, get this. Here's a random James Taylor uh, note. His 1976 greatest hits album has sold over 12 million copies. By the way, you've got um, gold. Is, is that's the first like. There's probably a silver status, maybe fifty thousand dollars status. Yeah, right. Uh, the, the I love the joke from uh, uh, Larry the Cable Guy who said on one of the, their comedy tour things, he's like, "You can use that joke on your next record. They'll go aluminum." Uh, like, man, thanks for know. coming by, Larry oh, the Cable Larry. Guy. That's hey, a buddy. guest. I didn't think you'd make it. Hey, try Prolisec on DC. Uh, that's pretty good, right. man. Yeah, that's good. I like I like you stopping by, Larry. New new sponsor. Thanks, <laughs> Prolisec OTC. Ron White uh, was giving or signing wine bottles at uh, in Hendersonville the other day. Of course he was. And there was a, a ridiculous line. I was trying to get home because of the traffic and Ron White was backing it up with his... Really? Yeah. Was he in the road? No, it was. there's this <laughs> liquor store right there on Center Point Road in Hendersonville and I guess everybody from the greater south decided they wanted to come <laughs> buy Ron White's wine because he would sign it for free and it was a train wreck. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So, at least we, he's got a following. That's true. So... So wait a minute, where were we? Oh yes, okay. So you've got gold records. Oh, yeah, I think you may. There's probably a certified silver, maybe by the I by the imagine. recording industry. That's probably fifty thousand copies. A hundred thousand copies is gold. Uh, a million copies is platinum. Ten million copies is diamond. And so this record is certified. His his greatest hits record that is is certified diamond, having sold over twelve million copies. And get this, this is astonishing to me. Every album that James Taylor released from 1977 to 2007. That's 30 years. Every album that he released over that period sold over a million copies. That's amazing. I mean, wow. Yeah. Shocking. I don't know how many albums that was, but it's 30 years. Yeah, that's impressive. How many people have done that ever? You know what I'm saying? That's that's a, that's a whole lot. If you, that Greatest Hits album, if you were to say, JP, what album have you listened to the most in your lifetime? It would probably be that one. Really? Because I love it, and I've listened to it at every stage of life. Like, I right. listened to it when I was growing up. Yeah. And I, t- I remember when I was in the youth group, I took two long trips to Mexico, and we kept the movie Remember the Titans on the entire time. Oh, no. It was like 30-something times that it played. My golly, you're going to remember those Titans. It was either that or the movie The Pistol, and somehow the movie The Pistol broke or something. So we watched Remember the Titans. All of you from my youth group that are listening can vouch that. And I played this CD on repeat. Just to get away from it. Just to get away from Remember the Titans. And so this, I had this CD and 40 Acres by Cademan's Call. Those (laughs) were my two albums. And so by default, I listened to this one the most. And, uh, yeah, so hours of time on a so bus. literally, that really kind of upped the average it, that, that, for that's what put it over amount the of time that you've yeah. listened to this song. So, but that, that, I that mean, great, this, this album. This album. That yeah. Really so, yeah. So, that's that's not even counting his greatest hits album. His, his greatest hits album came out in 76. And then starting in the next year, if you take everything that he released for the following 30 years, everything else has sold that's a million copies. That's insane. Um, 
You got anything else? I've just got some kind of notes here and nuggets. there. I got some nuggets. His mom's name is Gertrude Woodard. Of course. She was an opera singer, and I really just wanted to say Gertrude. Yeah. So I just put that on there. Cool, yeah. Um, he was married to Carly Simon. Yeah, mm-hmm. Um, Didn't end well. Did not end well. Was also married and divorced Catherine Walker, but she was the one that helped him get off heroin, oh. and that helped him write the song Copper Line, which is in my top three James Taylor songs. Shouts out to Catherine Walker. I love Copper Line. You know that? Good that on tune? you. Oh, yeah, sure. That's a good one. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, Garth Brooks named his first child Taylor in James Taylor's honor. Did not know that. Uh, huge James That's Taylor awesome. fan. And uh, there's some great story from Garth Brooks. I think it was like the first time that he sang, he sang in front of James Taylor or something. I just remember a clip from like Storytellers where he's talking about being so nervous and he's, he had tears popping on his guitar strings and all this. It's very So he's like huge James Taylor mark cool. is Garth Brooks. By the way... For all the OG Great Song Podcast listeners out there, uh, I have an update to the great debate of season one uh, from the episode where we talked about friends in low places. Give some backstory question and everything. Okay, so a little backstory. We started to debate mid-episode. We did not realize that we saw this song from different angles. Um, And so uh, my perspective was, I thought I thought that the song "Friends in Low Places" was about a guy who, uh, who whose girl left him for another guy, and and he Garth, the the, the narrator, uh, the protagonist, uh, was interrupting them at a fancy dinner, like that they were they were having dinner at a fancy restaurant, and he went and and caused a ruckus there. And JP and many others of you out there thought that it was the setting of the song was a wedding. That she was getting married, remarried, or, or well, maybe not remarried, but but married to this guy, and then and that the setting is he went and interrupted a wedding, and so we started to dig into the song, and we asked you guys your opinions, and some of you, most of you, thought that it was at a wedding, but a few of you were, were with me that you thought you know it was somewhere else, and so we started digging into video archives and all this stuff to see if we could find a clue, and there was no clear cut answer, but shout out to podcast listener uh, Adam Connor who is the world's biggest Garth Brooks fan, goes to Nashville regularly to just hear, to either see Garth live or to hear, uh, you know, do anything connected with Garth. He's a big, 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 big fan. And he got introduced to me on Facebook through a mutual friend. He attended a uh, very cool event that I wish I could have attended personally in Nashville where a bunch of writers who had written songs that Garth recorded got together and played those songs uh, at, at one of the... Um, you know, one of the clubs, uh, bars, smaller venues in Nashville. And it's a very kind of intimate thing. And so he ends up there uh, running into and meeting Earl Bud Lee. The Earl of Bud Lee. The Earl of Bud Lee, uh, one of the co-writers of Friends in Low Places. What are the stinking odds of this? And was kind enough to tell me the what he found out. And so here is the official answer <laughs> from Earl Bud Lee regarding Friends in Low Places. He said, um, his exact reply was, I bought a bottle of blueberry brandy after we wrote it, and I don't remember. <laughs> so, a little anticlimactic <laughs> to our question and quest for answers. But nonetheless, huge shouts out to Thank Adam you, Connor Adam. for trying to ascertain that when you had the moment. Like, you you shot your shot with Earl Bud Lee. We should send you a prize of unspeakable value Absolutely. just for that. Stand we by, should. and we will get your address, and you will receive some prize of unspeakable value. I mean, you. what a guy. Thanks so much for for trying that's probably the only opportunity that we'll have because i think the other guy that wrote it like he like lives in mexico
Mexico or on some island somewhere. He's off the grid at this point. And Earl Bud Lee apparently just doesn't remember and is just kind of <laughs> wasted all the time. Uh, so, okay, we tried. We did our we, best. We gave the people what they wanted, uh, which we, was effort. <laughs> that's right. That's the best that we can do. E for effort. Um, okay, here, I have one other James Taylor note before we wrap okay. up. I got a couple. Okay. Two things. Go ahead. Hit me with one. I'll, I'll tell one thing. I know I keep coming back to this Troubadour tour, and maybe it's just because I really liked it, but that was number six concert tour of that era. Like, not just 2010, but like, do you know the five that were above it? Think 2010 to like 2013 or 14. Okay, so one of them's got to be U2. U2 is actually number th- two. Number okay. two on that. Number one, you're going to be like, what? And that's probably the the uh, the round. That the, was the, uh, the 360, yeah. 360 tour. Okay. So that was, yep, that was number two. So what would have been bigger than number, that? And it's you're going to be like, there is no 20, way. 2010 to 2013. But it was. And so... I, that was... I'm going to help you because I don't think yeah, you're going to Yeah, okay. Bon Jovi, the It's My Life Tour, what? was number one. Isn't Ew! Cr- bigger than you 2 I was like, how in the world? Ew! But apparently... This I, is highest, highest grossing? This is grossing. Like, yeah, wow. I looked at it. I was like, there's that no way. That is gross. Yeah, so that was that number one. That song will never, never will not be on the darken song the box. doors of this podcast. And neither, even though I like it, Rob does it, the Always song, which is the uh, world's worst lyrical Oh my gosh. Song yes. Is that the, the Crossroads. The, this Romeo is bleeding that's it, listen man. listen let's talk i'm just let's just quote the first verse of that song and just listen to the number of mixed metaphors this romeo is bleeding but you can't see his blood it's nothing but some feelings that this old dog kicked up it's been raining since you left me now i'm drowning in the flood see i've always been a fighter but without you i give up that is the worst garbage I have ever heard in my life. But raise your hand if you just quoted every lyric to it. Gosh, you can't help it. Uh, you can't help it. It's the only thing they played on school buses for like three years. <laughs> it was the first, one of the first songs I learned on piano uh, and uh, I was at a I was at church and they were like, oh, JP plays piano. Come on up and <laughs> play for the altar service. And I knew like two songs and, that, and it kept going and Dude. the altar kept so, da, 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 so that ended up being the the come to Jesus. Oh with, uh, gosh, with I the, hate that song with a burning <laughs> hot passion. You could literally ignite a solar system with the star supernova <laughs> hatred I have for that song. Yeah, it's not bad. Uh, number three, <laughs> number three, ACDC. Um, number four, okay, the Lady right. Gaga tour. It's Rolling Stones, one of them. They're uh, always no. out there doing it. And number five was the Black Eyed Peas. Huh. Time. So those that's the, a surprise. Yeah, those were the top five in that era. It's, wow. So I don't. It's twenty ten. But right in there is James Taylor right. and Carol King. And number just, six, just out there James, doing it. James Taylor and Carol King. Oh my gosh. Tour. So anyway, um, I got that, and you had. I got one other fact. I just then, got James Taylor reached the top of the Billboard two hundred chart for the first time in two thousand fifteen. Two thousand fifteen, he hit the top of the Billboard two hundred albums what? chart with "Before This World." Previously, his highest charting LP had been Mudslide Slim and the Blue Horizon, which peaked at number two in 1971. Hmm. So the follow-up to this one was his highest charting wow. until 2015 when he finally hit number what's, one. Do you, can you pull up what's on Mudslide Slim? Because yeah. I would try to think what would put yep. that over this one. Yeah, give me a second. Well, it's one of those things where he probably got aided like... You know, you know when like Adele got huge, You're hot, and then, then yeah. the next album the next is thing. hotly anticipated, and it comes out, and everybody, everybody buys, buys it, it regardless yep, of what's good. on it. They've just got to have it. That's good. I like that. That that makes makes a lot of sense. But for the record, 
the album Mudslide Slim, which is the one with him holding his suspenders yep. on the front. Okay, uh, Mustache Taylor. Uh-huh. Yes, exactly. Uh, it's got uh, You've Got a Friend, um, You Can Close Your Eyes, Machine Gun Kelly, Highway Song, It's Nice to Be Home Again, Let Me Ride, Long Ago and Far Away, Places in My Past, Love Has Brought Me Around, Soldiers, Mudslide Slim, Hey Mister, That's Me Up on the Jukebox. Nothing. I mean, I mean, like, I mean they're good. Comparatively speaking, yeah, though, compa- you would Hit Parade, think it, not- his first two albums versus that one, yeah. you would think. But I, I think it's because of the rocket ship that was Fire and Rain. Anything he puts out, you're going to be like, I'll buy it. That it's next album, album is, yep. yeah. That makes sense. Um, my last note that I had, he grew up in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, and he yep. talks a lot about the outlying hills and Tranquil and it's quiet. And when I chapel, think of Chapel Hill... I think nothing about that. I think think about the Tar Heels. Absolutely. (laughs) So the North Carolina Tar Heels. Um, Michael Jordan, James Worthy, Rasheed Wallace, Vince Carter, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Jerry Stackhouse, all kind of similar players. So I looked up what do North Carolina Tar Heels fans think the number one Tar Heel of all time is. It's got to be Jordan. It's got to be Jordan. What I'm thinking. Wrong. What? Tyler Hansbro. Really? By a landslide. If you ask true Tar Heel fans... Who the greatest Tar Heel because of all he did in college basketball. Okay. He won player of the year multiple times and he had a good career as a Tar Heel. Like his, I got you. Whereas Jordan. So it's sort of like you, like people say Tim Tebow is maybe the greatest college Gator, player of all time. Yeah, or, but you wouldn't say Tim Tebow is one of the greatest players. Yep. You would just ask Gator fans yep. like who's, and they might say Tim Tebow. Yep. That's wow. So Tyler Hansbro, shout I mean, out to you. Hey. Good job. Well done. Good on you, man. You outdid Michael Jordan. You did. In, it's in his own college. Like, yeah. You, if, yeah. Mm-hmm. The same guy that beat him out for his high school spot. You beat him out for college. Exactly. So, there yeah. you go. Sorry, yeah. Bobby Hansen. You did not beat him out in the uh, NBA as the mm, other guy. True. Wow. Okay, well, that's going to wrap it up for this episode of the Great Song Podcast. Thanks for listening wherever you are. Uh, give us some give us some love on social media. Share our episodes. Let other people know. If you're liking the show, the, the best thing you could do for us is to just let people know that you're listening and that you're enjoying it. Uh, do that subscribe. Do that like. Do that five-star review, and it really helps us out there. So thanks so much for listening wherever you are right now. Thanks for spending, you know, 45 minutes to an hour of your week with us every week. We took, you know, a little hiatus between season one and season two, and so many of you reached out to us and said, when is the next episode coming? When do I get to listen again? Where did you go? My Friday morning is incomplete because I don't have you guys to listen to at work or on my drive or whatever. Or on the Um, toilet. I mean, that's the greatest compliments you can give (laughs) to us is where'd you go? It's true, yeah. So thank you so much. Absolutely. You've made us part of your life part of your routine that's amazing so, so we're back yeah thank you so much we're so glad to be back with you and we got some more songs in a as we continue uh season two of the great song podcast that we cannot wait to bring you we're excited we're hyped we're ready to go we got the research machine rolling again we're, we're recording and, and coming up with new ideas and new ways to bring you interesting stuff so uh thanks so much for being with us and we will see you next time i'm rob i'm jp go listen to some music <laughs>